Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the ride. I'm Heidi Malacco. I'm here with Julie Goodnight. And Julie, today we want to talk about the horse's senses, but specifically how the senses kind of create or add to the horse's behavior. So tell me a little bit about how a horse's senses are heightened and how that can relate to their behavior. Well, sure. First of all, a horse's senses, knowing and understanding how their senses work and in particular how they're different from human senses, um, just understanding that will help you understand how the horse perceives his reality better. So, um, and, and you can kind of just sum it up by saying pretty much a horse's senses, all of them are better than and keener <laughs> than human senses. Um, a horse's vision works in particularly different ways than the humans, more uh, peripheral oriented than, um, than straight ahead. That's a prey predator thing. Um, they can hear higher and less lower decibels. Their vision is particularly, the way their mind interprets the vision is particularly keyed into movements, uh, quick sudden movements in the environment. Um, so there's all kinds of um, ways that a horse, a horse's senses are better than humans and his, his sense of smell is very keen. And he's also very reliant on all of his senses in order to make decisions and um, all of his, uh, the decisions he makes based on all of his senses um, have a big impact on his behavior. And uh, so, so first understanding that their senses are much keener than ours and, and work in, in different ways than ours. Um, and then you have to uh, realize that um, on windy days, for instance, would be the most mm-hmm. common scenario. Um, a horse is very reliant on his senses to, for information, and then on a windy day, so much of that information is taken away from him um, that he, um, when, uh, for instance, he might normally be able to smell if there was, a, let's say, a herd of elk around the corner. Now the wind is blowing so hard he can't smell anything. Um, he may have normally been able to hear those elk uh, moving around or making noises, um, but now he can't hear anything because of the wind. Um, so all of these things make him more uncertain and unsure of his environment. And the more uncertain and, and more unsure he is, the more fearful his behavior becomes, the more apt you are to see behaviors like spooking and bolting and uh, uh, high-headedness and um, those sorts of things. So it's more the fear of not having that information to take in on a windy day or that I could also imagine like smells would be in the wrong place from where the scary thing really was or probably a lot of information just blows by and is in the wrong place too. Right, and and so it's just a lack of information 
um, information that might normally put him at ease. Um, so without that information, he, he's more on edge, more on, on guard. Um, so horses, you know, when I learned, I've, I've lived, I've lived in the mountains of Colorado for 30 years and I was in, uh, in New Mexico in a very windy place, uh, before that and, and, um, I've had the, uh, a uh, great fortune, I, I shall say, of living in a very windy area. And, um, <clears throat> you know, until I got the indoor arena, um, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, right. Um, right. All, almost all of the days that I missed in training had to do with the wind, um, uh-huh. not the footing, not the cold, um, certainly not the heat, um, but the wind. And um, so what I've learned from a career of training young young horses and, and training um, hot-blooded horses is that when the wind is blowing really hard, you're not going to accomplish anything positive that day in training. Mm-hmm. And um, believe it or not, we, we get driven to the indoor arena more because of wind than any other uh, element. Right. And... If it's really windy, a really windy day, even working indoors is uh, is usually a net loss with the horse. So um, what I learned from the very beginning, particularly with, with starting young colts, is on a super windy day, the chances the chances of something good coming from your training session were slim, and the chances of something negative resulting from the training session were really high. So uh, we, we just, you know, would skip days when it was uh, windy, super windy, and, and train extra days on hard on the other days. On the other days. Or get yeah. up early before the wind is blowing, maybe. So yeah, I just work around it. What's something specific? Can you imagine, like, one horse that was really bothered by the wind and kind of what they looked like, how they looked on the muscle, or, or what they looked like different from how they usually would have been in a training session? Well, sure. Um, you know, for one thing, horses are uh, <clears throat> really uh, – some horses are – really notice movement in their environment. And so, um, you know, particularly horses that are trained to work cattle, for instance, or horses that just have a high level of fear. So, you know, there are certain types of horses that are are just high-strung and sensitive. We call those hot-blooded horses. And hot-blooded horses, the, the definition of a hot-blooded horse is a horse that's highly sensitive to environmental stimuli. And that's all stimuli in the environment. Mm-hmm. And so um, on a windy day, there's so much movement in the environment and things flying by. And, uh, yeah, I remember that reminded me of a story of a of an Arab, a young Arab, and uh, this horse was very, very spooky. I, I think I've talked about him before um, in terms of fear and, and self-fulfilling prophecies with horses. That's, right. that's the other thing you have to watch out. When they get, you know, when they get a lot of fear going, 
they they tend to become reactive and then stuff happens and and their their worst fear comes true they get they get hurt or scared but um so this horse was uh had, there was a uh, plastic bag had blown into his pen and um he was checking it out and he reached down and picked it up and the wind blew it over his face <laughs> and it blinded him and um and he, he lifted his head up, but the wind was blowing so hard, it just kept the bag blowing right over his face, so oh. he couldn't see. But, you know, um, just on a, on a more common level, you know, you have a horse, um, let's say he's a young horse, and you just start riding him, and he, you know, he has a lot of nervousness, and, uh, you know, you just working working him at a nice trot and his head is down, he's on a loose rein, you're just trotting along and he finally relaxes and you fi- you relax and you sit back and all of a sudden some something blows into the arena right under his nose and he you know, jumps sky high in the air and <laughs> you slam down on his back and you jerk up on the reins and you circle him around and then you know, the whole thing becomes a big drama, and that's what I mean by a, a, a net loss in your training for the day because what what, what could have been a, a perfectly nice day turns out to be a, a, a really bad experience for your horse. So, right. um, and the way that turns into sort of self, self-fulfilling prophecy for the horse is the horse on a windy day or a stormy day uh, is another common time when the horse is just naturally edgy and nervous anyway. Mm-hmm. And he, he has this feeling, uh, I feel like something's going to go wrong and I feel like I'm going to get hurt. And and then something happens and he does get hurt in, in his mind. Um, and, um, you know, his idea of hurt might be different than your idea of hurt, but he, he then, you know, it, it, it can perpetuate into having fear of fear. And that's a, a downward spiral in a horse. So. Sure, sure. And that, so this, the wind really brings up the, the vision. And you've talked about how that relates to, to the hearing. I'm sure, especially if, if horses are hearing more, they're going to hear that buzz. I get just kind of out of sorts if the wind is really high because it feels like I'm always hearing something. That white noise just never settles, and you're just always sensing that. So I can understand from the wind the the hearing part and the, the vision part. Um, what about smells with horses? Are there are there are things with smells that would then relate to a, a change in behavior? Well, <clears throat> certainly a horse is reliant on his sense of smell for identifying things and um, and noticing um, potentially dangerous things in right. his environment. And so, again, when the sense is taken away from him because the wind is blowing so hard that any any sense of smell is, is lost on the wind, mm-hmm. um, 
then he's naturally going to be a little edgier than he would if he could smell the normal smells in his environment. Now, um, you know, up close and personal, he can still smell you just fine. So uh, let's say it's you, he's wanting to smell, the, uh, make sure you're who he thinks you are by by look and by the sound of your walk and the sound of your voice. And um, even on a windy day, if you were close to him, he could certainly smell you because his sense of smell is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, what he would lose is that, um, you know, I would say more like when you go out away from the barn into a, uh, a riskier area, uh, riskier in the horse's mind being farther away from the barn and uh, you can't smell the new environment you're stepping into uh, because the wind is, is blowing so hard. That's what it would be more likely to to affect the horse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what about on that windy day? Say it was a nice day out and you decide you're going to, or, or at least, like I'm looking out the window right now, the wind is blowing the leaves a little bit, but it just looks like a a fall day, kind of chilly out, overcast, but the wind isn't crazy. But by the time you go and get saddled up and go out to do a little bit of work, the wind really picks up. But like, say for me, I have a, you know, 14 year old horse that's well trained. I've had days where he just goes berserk because the wind is blowing and then people are, you know, shooting off and trying to hunt ducks in the meantime. And, and so what, at what point do you say, okay, just call it? And what point do you expect that well-trained horse to still be somewhat sane no matter what the conditions are? What's the line there? <laughs> well, you know, I laugh because there's just so many different situations <laughs> and so many different types of horses that that it's hard to say. And there's plenty of times on a, you know, super well-trained, reliable horse I know well that, I would expect him to perform in the wind um, almost as well as he would uh, or she would. I'm thinking of the one of the few horses I would actually think right. of that was a mare. But, um, you know, so it depends on the horse, its temperament, the situation, how important Riding that day is maybe or um, is success. Well, how important is is having success on the horse? You know, let's okay. Let's take for an instance a horse that. Well, let's take a Mustang that's just learning for the very first time to trust people. And I let's say I just made some major progress with him. We just had a big breakthrough. Is it really worth it to me today to risk not only? Uh, Losing that big breakthrough, but having an incident that could could uh, totally shatter the trust I've built in the horse. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why uh, and factors that would be involved. But the answer is pretty simple because it's the same answer for almost everything in the training of horses is always revert back to something that is easy and something that you're going to have success with and praise the horse's success 
reward the horse's success um, by by letting him um, rest when he has worked hard and you know um, just just find a way to be successful and, and and at all costs we want to end a training session on a good note so um, it let's say I went to all that trouble and I just got ready and I finally stepped back there and all of a sudden the wind really picks mm-hmm. up and, and my horse is just deteriorating you know well I'm the leader, and I'm the only one that can make a rational decision and weigh out all these pros and cons and the positives and the negatives and what what is a realistic expectation for this horse at this moment in time and um, make that executive decision. Um, I just know for me, I'm going to always err on the side of of not pushing it because – that's when injuries occur. That's when training regresses. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you say, I, I wish we hadn't done that, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's uh, kind of like that saying, oh, let's try it one more time. And what that really mm-hmm. means is, I know I shouldn't do it again, but I'm going to. So, um, you know, that's sometimes we have to, mm-hmm. to make those decisions. That's what being a leader is about. And I could see it be very different if you're training and you just want to ride, you're keeping a horse in shape versus, like, you're using that horse for the job and you need to go check the fence because the cattle got out and it doesn't matter if the wind's blowing or not. You've, you've got to go do that. You've got to, you know, push through or figure out how to to get them at least reined in a little bit. Oh, yeah. Now, I've, you know, I've ridden my horses in the most inclement, weather and yeah i you know my horses are my partners and if i have to do it they have to do it um i'm not sending them out there by themselves um but like you say there's that doesn't apply to every situation and not every horse is capable of that so it's it's really more about knowing and understanding your horse's capabilities and, yes, sometimes we have to push those capabilities, but it should be an informed decision you're making right. Um, right. And, and, and not a surprise in hindsight. Good. That makes a lot of sense, I think. that, And that's where the behaviors that might come out of that, then you're going to punish or, or look have regrets that you did it. So what you're saying is have an educated decision so that you don't get to the point of bad behavior with your horse when he's got a good reason for acting that way. Yeah. Good. Now let's, let's circle back to vision a little bit. You talked a little bit about horses using more of their peripheral vision. And is there anything else about vision that is really important to, to think about? Cause I know that, Horses don't necessarily always see as clear as we do, but they're seeing more at once than we do, right? Yes, um, and, you know, their far-off vision is very good. Their close-up vision, not so good. Mm -hmm. Um, A horse, his, his vision is all about the horizon. He's programmed to uh, want to scan the horizon. 
And so that's why the more nervous your horse gets, the higher his head comes. Okay. Because uh, he's um, a horse uh, has very little binocular vision, and um, because he has very great peripheral vision, but that is mostly monocular. So his his vision is primarily oriented towards monocular vision, and um, his his uh, his vision is his binocular vision is projected down the plane of his face. So the far so what's easy for him to see is the ground right in front of him, but for him to see the horizon or look far off in the distance. He wants to lift his head up and poke his nose out so he can see the horizon. And scanning the horizon gives the horse comfort. Um, so the more we restrict their ability to see the horizon, the more uncomfortable the horse might become. Uh, um, right. Again, if the, hor- if the horse is prone to being nervous and edgy and fearful. Um, so... Also, you know, that's one reason why we like to keep their head down low, um, even if that means artificially low, um, so that they're not looking around, they're not mm-hmm. looking for trouble or looking for things that move um, off in the distance. You know, a, a, a horse could uh, look off in the distance and see um, another horse or some cattle or or wildlife moving through, and um, that would naturally catch his attention. He's a prey animal uh, on the lookout for predators. So um, his vision can definitely affect his behavior and how he reacts in different environments. Good. That makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to clarify, and that's, that's a great tip, I think, just knowing that the more nervous the horse is, that that's why he's putting his head up to take in that information. And if you as the leader want to help calm him, that's why the head down cue would be a good thing to do if you did need to settle a horse in the wind probably, right? Yeah, and, you know, a couple more things about a horse's vision that relate to his behavior. One is uh, – you know, you need binocular vision to have good depth perception. Okay. And so a horse's depth perception is not very good. And when he approaches uh, weird obstacles, and, and sometimes it could be as simple as just a line drawn in the sand, um, but there's a certain shadow on it or a right. certain shape right. to it, um, he can't really um, often. He can't always justify through his vision: is that a crevasse, or uh, is that a crack in the in the right. earth, or or what? So he will react to it, um, and often that irritates us. So we want to uh, lash out in anger at the horse, or you know, think the horse is acting maliciously and, and it's just um, preservation yeah or it, it sometimes it's not even that big of a thought it's just that he had a, a weird vision um 
tweak there for a minute. And, you know, have if you've ever been in a, uh, let's say, an older indoor arena that has gotten holes here and there in the roof, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been in a lot of them <laughs> that are like that. Uh, most of most older arenas are, and um, so you'll have a little uh, sphere of sunlight shining into the arena, right? And um, maybe maybe it's only as big around as a uh, you know like a dollar coin. Yes, right. But we don't know what that certain, is. A certain horse, some horses will never react to it, but some horses, if that light hits them in a certain way or they see that spot on the ground, they'll just jump into the air to try to get around it or away from it. And um, it's not necessarily a, again, a thoughtful behavior of, oh, my God, what is that thing? I should jump away from it. It's, <laughs> it's just a simple reaction. Right. And, um, um, and, and in many ways, based on their vision. So that's one thing, the depth perception. The other thing is the horses have really good night vision. They they can see very well at night um, because their pupils have a tremendous capacity to dilate and constrict. And um, they utilize starlight and moonlight um, for night vision. And um, therefore, they can see pretty well in the light. However, um, things like going in from bright sunlight into a dark barn or mm-hmm. a dark barn into bright sunlight can be very disconcerting to the horse. Um, walking into a dark barn in the dead of night and flipping the lights on uh, would be very painful. Uh, to a horse as it would to you, except I think probably more painful to the horse because his his dial his pupils um, dilate so much more than ours. Mm-hmm. And um, so these are things to just be uh, you know aware of, and they have an effect on the horse's behavior and and how comfortable he is. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And from the photography standpoint, it's the first time I've kind of thought about that this way but their eyes are so much bigger than ours and we know that if you want to shoot in low light you get a lens that's the widest possible so it's for that reason but then if you were to take that lens with that open and shoot in the bright light inside you'd be totally overexposed it with so you could understand why that would be painful when you kind of think of it in in terms we understand not thinking that their eyes are just like ours yeah Good. Well, I think that helps a lot, Julie. I think just understanding, like you said at the beginning, that their senses are so much more heightened than ours and that they don't take in information the same way that we do. And I think if we think like the horse, understand how they're taking in information, that's going to help us to have a better relationship. Yeah, and that's why I devoted a whole section of my behavior DVD to the horse's senses and how it affects their behavior. And uh, the more you know about a horse's behavior, the better you are able to manipulate the the behavior, which is mm-hmm. what training is. So, um, so it's good. The more you know, the better. Good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. 
I'm Heidi Malako. I'm here today with Desiree Johnson from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. I know your sizing is a little bit interesting. Tell me how you decided to do sizing this way and, and what the sizing process is. All right. Well, when we first started the website and I was working on my sizing page, Eric and I had several discussions how we were going to approach this because industry sizing is all over the place. For instance, I wear a 4 in a Q-Baby and I wear a 10 in another style wow. of riding jeans. So I, that just wasn't going to work for me. So because of the industry sizing and because I just wanted to be creative, you know, I'm a, I'm a creative person, I decided to give them breed names. For instance, my smallest size of jean is an Arabian, mm-hmm. and my largest size of jean is a Nakota. Now, we have, a, 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 we have plus sizes, and um, for instance, the Appaloosa is the, the largest jean in the regular size, and then there's a okay. slight pattern break, and the Morgan is the smallest of our plus sizes. Basically, you go to the sizing page, and you put your feet together, and you take your measurements, and if you give me two numbers, if you gave me your waist and your hip, I could tell you what size of jean from the sizing page to choose. And it's working really, really well. And the people are loving, absolutely loving the breed names. It's kind of exciting and different and new and fun. Right. Well, it helps you find the real measurement rather than trying to fit into something that may or may not be your actual digit anymore. (laughs) Right, right. It just doesn't work when somebody says, oh, I, you know, I wear a size this, I wear in this jean, this other style jean, that, that doesn't work for me. And when I'm, it's my job, my main job is to fit the first wave. And that brings me to my Colt special. But that's my job is I send two jeans and I want those jeans, one of those jeans to fit for them and for me. Otherwise, it's just too much back and forth. And now, tell us a little uh, more about that. How does that, how, did, how do you send that? How do you decide what you're going to send? And then how does that process work with people choosing the best one? Okay, so um, on the website, it's explained um, very clearly what I call is my cult special, C-O-L-T, cult. Mm-hmm. And you put that word anywhere on your order, and I know what it is that you want. Even if you've kind of messed your order up, I'll fix it. So you go to the sizing page and you, you get your two numbers and you choose two breed size sizes that you'll think will work for you. And I and then you make your order and you put your colt in the order notes. All you do is say colt. And I provide a resealable bag and a prepaid shipping label. And I ship you, I ship you the two pairs of jeans and a successful colt is one you love and you keep and it fits, mm. and then you just pop the other in the resealable bag using the label that I have provided that's already paid for, and you ship it back, and I don't charge for the gene until you tell me you want to keep one. And, boy, it's, it's working great. You know, Good. the gals, if they have any questions, they call me, um, and if we miss, we just switch it out. And But 95% of the time, uh, the cult special, it's just, it's it's working it's working for everybody. Good, very good. Well, I think that just takes into consideration real riders, real body shapes, and trying to find what's really right for you and what's going to be the most comfortable once you're riding, once you're up in the saddle. Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Check out SmoothStride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. 
Also, be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash podcasts. For the full library of audio interviews, you can listen to in the car or at the barn. 